I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, June 30th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the state stares down a mounting pile of litigation. Then, Mississippi can't shake its low COVID-19 vaccination rate. And the Department of Archives unveils records from the Mississippi burning case. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Tate Reeves campaigned for governor as a staunch conservative, and his tenure thus far, with a handful of exceptions, has been marked by a fiercely conservative approach to social and ideological issues. That's landed him support from his deep red voter base, but it's also landed his state in court. Most recently, Reeves has found himself on the business end of a lawsuit from atheist groups who say Mississippi's In God We Trust car tags violate their First Amendment rights. During a Tuesday press conference, though, Reeves said he isn't much concerned about the litigation. It's certainly not surprising. Uh, They threatened to sue us a little over two years ago. In our state, we made In God We Trust uh, part of our state seal uh, some 10 years ago. Several years ago, we put our state seal, which contains In God We Trust, on our license plates. Uh, And since that time, Mississippians went to the polls and by about a 75 percent margin voted to put In God We Trust on our state flag. The the term In God We Trust has historical significance. It is literally, if you have, I don't have many dollars, but if you have a dollar bill, uh, it is our nation's motto and it is put It has been on uh, our monetary uh, exchange um, money uh, for hundreds of years in in this country. Uh, There have been multiple federal court rulings uh, that recognize the historical significance of In God We Trust. Um, And and the only thing um, that that should be noted is that while these particular atheist groups threatened to sue me two or three years ago, uh, many of these plaintiffs that they ultimately found, and I will note that it took them a couple of years to find plaintiffs to actually file the suit. If they've been following our law, they've been riding around with these license plates for multiple years, and there's no harm there. 
Well, the attorneys from the atheist organization yesterday, they claim they don't really want to take down In God We Trust, but for people to have an option on a license plate that doesn't have it if they choose to without having to pay extra. Do you think there's wiggle room there? Well, uh, th- they may claim they don't want to take down In God We Trust, but th- the fact of the matter is, uh, the and the reason they claim that, of course, is because that issue has been litigated many times in the past. And if if the federal judge who has this case follows a long-standing precedent, then I think uh, he'll dismiss this case very very quickly. More pressing is Mississippi's impending legal battle over abortion. A challenge to the state's 15-week abortion ban has been taken up by the Supreme Court, making it America's most high-profile reproductive rights case in nearly 30 years. Reeves says he's confident the Supreme Court will overturn a lower court ruling and uphold the ban. Roe v. Wade was decided in 1973. The Casey case occurred in 1992. So we have just shy of 50 years, and there have been multiple cases that have been tried over the years. When you look at this particular case, it is about the court reviewing Roe v. Wade and recognizing that over that nearly 50 years, the science has changed. The fact is we know so much more about the development of babies in the womb today than we knew in 1992 when Casey was decided, much less what we knew in 1973. The technology is far advanced today compared to the early 1990s, much less the early 1970s. So we know now that we have brain development in that young child at that age. We know now that that baby is practicing breathing. We know now that that baby experiences pain when in the womb at 15 weeks. And because of that, we believe that the court should recognize the ever-evolving science and should uphold this law and not allow abortions to occur in Mississippi, because that's what our statute says, after 15 weeks. While I personally would support overturning Roe v. Wade, This particular litigation is not asking the court to overturn Roe v. Wade. It is simply asking the court to recognize longstanding views that you can place limits on when abortions can occur and late-term abortions should not be allowed in the state of Mississippi. State Representative Becky Curry authored the 15-week abortion ban. In an exclusive interview with MPB's Kobe Vance, she explains why she feels limits on abortion rights are necessary. When you look at the fetus at that time, you are, you know, feeling the baby flutter. You can tell what the sex is. You can uh, hear the heartbeat. The baby feels pain. And so the act of a, a physical abortion is very traumatic. It is a, um, it's called a curatage. Being a nurse, I'm not trying to talk over your head, but it's a, a scraping instrument that they use. They go in the uterus and scrape the baby out, which, you know, tears the baby up in order to have the suction DNC part that sucks all of that fetal material out. Well, that baby feels pain. 
and uh, you know that that point of development for the fetus is is pretty um, you know they, they feel pain they have fingernails they have eyelashes they have different things that you know they're they're a human being and that's at four months of the pregnancy so it is just time to decide are you going to have that baby or are you going to abort it but it needs to be done uh, before that 15 week mark now when you were uh, writing this did you consider that it would be going uh, that it would be challenged like this and go to the Supreme Court you know you have no idea I, I really knew it was a good bill and I, I always had this gut feeling that something good would happen with it because I, you know, it was just when you write it and you, you know it's a good piece of legislation, something in my heart told me that this bill would be going to the Supreme Court. And, you know, it's always a shock that this little uh, legislator from Mississippi, my bill, is going to be the one that's going to be the first bill to come up before the Supreme Court on abortion, you know, since 1992. Uh, so I'm very proud of that. A lot of people that are against this bill that are filing these lawsuits, they they have they're saying that you know women have the right to choose what they do with their body. What would be your response to that? Well, my response to that on this bill is that you do have the right to choose. Just choose before four months of pregnancy, and you know I I believe that life begins at conception, but I think that after four months it's time to decide. And you know this. To me, when it goes before the Supreme Court, I believe that they're just going to take it and state to state. That it, whatever your state will be the state that goes to 15 weeks. What I would like to see the Supreme Court is let us state by state decide what is right for our state. Do you think that states are going to have the right to choose following the Supreme Court decision? I hope so. We should. It's our constitutional right to decide what's best for our state, and we can't let, you know, uh, a few people in Washington make those decisions. We are here living in the state. We know how the majority of the people feel, and, you know, I think it's something that should be looked at state to state. And now, as the governor mentioned earlier, it's been 50 years since Roe v. Wade. What are your thoughts on, uh, you know, health care and uh, abortions in that time? Do you think the governor's correct in his opinion that um, the medical field has changed so much that um, it's time to address this again? Absolutely. As a nurse and a nurse that worked in labor and delivery and, and prenatal care for a long time, I can tell you that we used to have very um, few instruments to even do the ultrasound when I first started. That was a really big deal when ultrasound came. And now you can see this 3D picture of your child and, and know what that child looks like. Technology has just changed so much that that we need to update our laws. And the last question I had for you is, you know, for some, they might not notice signs of a, a life-threatening condition until later in the pregnancy. Do you have concerns for that or for people that might have, might realize those problems beyond the 15 weeks? I think that's going to be between them and their doctor. And there are no provisions for that in this bill, you know, because there, I just don't believe that unless it's, a life-threatening to the mother, which has always been between the, the patient and the doctor, that you should make a decision about, you know, what child should live and what child should die. I think that that's something that, uh, you know, if, if it's life-threatening to the mother, that's a decision between the, the patient and the doctor. There's no clear timetable for the Supreme Court to issue a decision on the matter. 
Coming up, vaccines and variants weigh heavy on the Department of Health. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Weeks stretch into months with Mississippi's COVID-19 vaccination stuck in neutral. As of Monday, more than 70 percent of residents still aren't fully vaccinated. That's the highest rate in the nation. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs spoke with urgency at a press event yesterday, sounding downright grim as he updated Mississippians on the state's battle against COVID-19. Today, we reported 11 deaths, all of whom were unvaccinated or undervaccinated. 10 of them were totally unvaccinated and one of them was partially vaccinated. Three of the deaths were in their 30s. And we are seeing this more and more cases in younger middle-aged folks who are undervaccinated. In addition, we're seeing an increasing number of cases in large measure due to the Delta variant. And we are starting to see an increase in the number of hospitalizations. Please know that the vast majority of these cases and hospitalizations and deaths are in the unvaccinated. Let let me make it very clear. The vaccines are saving lives. 96% of our cases over the past month, unvaccinated. 95% of our hospitalizations the past month, unvaccinated. 90% of our deaths in the past month, unvaccinated. We're starting to see that the median age of most cases is gonna be in the late late 20s to early 30s. So it's this younger age group that we're gonna struggle with, but we still have too many older and vulnerable people who are unvaccinated. COVID's not gone, and sadly, we're going to lose more folks. As COVID-19 continues to circulate throughout the state, the danger posed by variant strains of the virus increases. That's according to state epidemiologist Dr. Paul Byers, who was hardly any cheerier yesterday. We do have 78 cases of Delta variant that have been identified in Mississippi. This is a highly infectious variant strain. And I just want to illustrate how, in particular, Mississippi is vulnerable to this highly infectious variant. When you look at our vaccination rates compared to the U.S., you can see that we are considerably lower across all age groups. Uh, If you look at the percent of our total population that's been vaccinated, just a bit over 30% of Mississippians are fully vaccinated now. When you break it down to individuals over the age of 12 and, and, and equal to 12, and remember who's eligible for vaccine now, it's, it's 12 and older, you can see that we are some 20 percentage points behind the rest of the population in the U.S. When you look at the percent of population 18 and older, you can see how we stack up to the U.S. We are still considerably lower. We've done a better job of vaccinating our individuals over the age of 65. And this is encouraging, but we still have a long way to go because we are still seeing deaths in vulnerable folks over the age of 65, even though we're starting to see uh, more more of that occurring in younger folks now uh, as well. And so, like I said, we've seen 78 cases of the Delta variant in Mississippi. Remember that the emergence of these variants is occurring frequently now. And when you have a variant strain 
that is more highly infectious, certainly you run the risk of, of seeing much more transmission. The Department of Health encourages those concerned about the safety and efficacy of COVID vaccines to consult their primary care doctors or another trusted medical professional. Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, a fresh glimpse into one of Mississippi's darkest chapters. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Pediatrics and Internal Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Morning, Elliot. It's been several years now that I've been taking uh, some kind of statin for my cholesterol. And, uh, you know, with each of them, of course, I, I had these uh, side effects, like you said, the, a joint soreness. Tell you what, the cure for it, at least for me, and what my doctor suggested was CoQ10. Every night I'll take uh, between 200 and maybe 400 milligrams of CoQ10. It wiped all that out. I haven't had any of the side effects for years. That is something that's pretty successful. I should have mentioned that earlier. Um, it's And it's been around a long time. As you mentioned, it's it's over-the-counter. Um, it's easy to get. And for a lot of people, those symptoms go away with taking it. There's some other ways that you can get around some of the symptoms. Of course, all the statins work better at night just because of that's when you make a lot, a lot of cholesterol. So taking them a little bit later is, is the thing to do. But even like uh, alternating when you take them. So you can take them one day, not take it the next, and then take it the next day, or sometimes decrease in the dose. But you're right, co- coenzyme Q10, they don't really understand the, the complete mechanism for that, but it, it does help a lot of people um, yeah. to uh, continue to take them and, and reap the benefits without the side effects. So uh, that's an excellent suggestion. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The deaths of civil rights workers James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Schwerner during Mississippi's Freedom Summer have long been shrouded in mystery, even after the conviction of mastermind Edgar Ray Killen in 2005. This week, a massive release of records pertaining to the FBI investigation of the case became available to the public for the first time through the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. Archivist Sean Stalzer led efforts to catalog the material. We can only speculate why the the AG's office decided to turn them over when they did. But I think the death of Killen may have helped with something along those lines. in 2018, Edgar Ray Killen. Yes. So they contacted us in April of 2019 and said we have about 30 boxes of the materials related to this case. Do you want them? (laughs) 30 big boxes? (laughs) Uh, Cubic foot boxes. Okay. You know, uh, standard moving boxes, basically. And yeah, so we got them in 2019, and I started processing them right away. Well, actually, I took two weeks because I didn't really know what they were. I just knew they were AG's materials. Were you working alone? No, no. I've got three other people in in Gummer Records. And has it taken you this long to get through every piece of information? No, it was was a fairly quick process. It was maybe um, six weeks to two months uh, of solid... Uh, processing every day. Tell us, as an archivist, what exactly you're doing as you're going through these materials. So we basically get them in in what are record center boxes, just brown, you know, cubic foot boxes. We're going through the folders and identifying things that may be, you know, we're basically weeding, what's called weeding. Uh, We're organizing things uh, based on 
the what's called the original order of the materials. So we don't want to just change things around uh, willy-nilly. We, we want to keep things as the lawyers had them at the time at the AG's office. Give us an idea of what kind of materials. Are we talking about court records, photographs? All of the above. Okay. <laughs> so the, the AG's office had these materials for the, the 2005 case against Killen. And they contacted the FBI to send them everything that they had related to the Mississippi burning materials. So the FBI sends them everything from the 60s from, you know, 1964 and the investigation. Do you remember what the very first, they were killed, uh, this is James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, Michael Schwerner, were killed by the Ku Klux Klan. Mm -hmm. They were uh, held first. They were held sure. in the jail, then they were let go, and then they were followed, pulled over, and shot dead, and then buried. Their graves were not found. They were in an earthen dam. That was for several months afterwards, I think, three months or so. Yes, yes, by the All end right. of the summer. So what is the first piece of information? What's the first thing in among the materials that you have? I, I separated the collection into three uh, parts, basically. There's the FBI memos, which are from, you know, the FBI's investigation in, in 1964. They're interviewing people. So that's the very first thing, is when the FBI gets involved? Well, uh, it depends on how you want to look at it. So there's the FBI stuff. There's the Attorney General uh, legal research notes uh, from 2005. So that's them building their case against Killen. And so that's another part of the collection. The third part is photographs. The, those um, have things like, you know, Killen's house, photographs of uh, the autopsy, photographs of the earthen dam and aerial fo photos, uh, some of the U.S. Navy. So if you want to talk about the earliest. Um, U.S. Navy? What is they, the, they helped uh, perform the, they the search. They excavated the, okay. Yeah, they, they searched around in the woods around uh, in Neshoba County. So if you want to talk about the first, some of the photographs are of, you know, the, the jail receipts for uh, the three young men before they were murdered. Are you displaying these? Are they in folders? How can the public access these materials? So for, for the latest updates, go to the Department, Mississippi Department of Archives website, and you can find the, the catalog, the online catalog, and you can search Mississippi burning files, and, and this will pop up. And so you can see any of them? All you can of them? see all of them, yes. Um, everything, we wanted to make sure that everything was open. And you can just come to the, the archive. As you were going through these materials, was there anything that you found that was surprising or shocking or graphic that took you aback? You know, the, the autopsy photos uh, are number one on that list. You know, the, they're definitely graphic and... As an archivist, there are collections in like um, the, that have, uh, I've, uh, as part of my work, I've, I've looked through arson files, and so you see burn victims and things like of that nature. And, mm -hmm. and this definitely fits in, in line with that. So uh, I would caution anybody to look that wants to look at these to just to be aware. Now, how many boxes? We know how, how many boxes there were initially. How many boxes are there now that can be checked out? It's mid thirties, like thirty okay. thirty ish boxes. The the photos are only three small boxes, but the bulk of it is the FBI stuff. And then, well, half of that is the FBI stuff, and then half is the AG stuff. How long stuff. can someone check a box out? Usually it's for the day, and then if they want... And they you can, do it there at the archives? At the archives, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, in the reading room, yes. How has the response been so far? 
It's interesting. This is definitely the most public collection I've, I've ever uh, processed because, you know, I wasn't expecting everybody to – all the newspapers and, and everyone else to, to so call. So there's a line already. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, and we'll, we'll try to get to everybody. But All right. Well, fascinating. Sean Stalzer, again, is the Senior Archivist for the Mississippi Department of Archives and History. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.